every house has a story to tell. Riley Sager, Home Before Dark. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie, and I am joined once again by podcast favorite author Riley Sager to talk about his new book, Home Before Dark. So Riley, welcome to the show again. Hello, thanks for having me back. (laughs) Uh, So for people that aren't aware, what is Home Before Dark about? So Home Before Dark is about a woman named Maggie who experienced kind of an Amityville horror type situation. Um, As a girl, she and her parents moved into this big, creepy house in Vermont. They experienced some strange things, and they fled in the middle of the night 20 days later, never to return. And her father later wrote a book about it that became this worldwide phenomenon you know, rivaling the Amityville horror in terms of quote-unquote nonfiction horror. And so she's lived in the shadow of this book her entire life. And 25 years later, she inherits the house from her father, unaware that he still owned it, and returns to try to figure out the truth about her father's book, because all her life she thought it was a complete hoax. And so she returns to this house and starts to experience some things very similar to what happened in her father's book. And so it's actually two books in one. There's Maggie's return to this house, and then there is the complete book that her father wrote about their time there. And so it's it alternates between Maggie's story and the story her father told. Yes, that was so much fun to read because it does have that dual narrative back-to-back chapter thing so can I ask which side was more fun to write it was definitely the book within the book um, (laughs) because that was the you know going into it I kind of knew immediately that because she's returning to this house her father's book has to play a major part in it Mm. I couldn't just have her think like oh my father wrote this and you know I wanted it to be more visceral than that so Immediately, I was like, there's going to be excerpts from her father's book. And then I thought, bigger. You know, why not just put the whole damn book within the book? And I, I loved that idea because it sort of, it serves so many purposes, this book within the book. It's, it's sort of the flashbacks mm-hmm. that readers require to sort of understand the history of what happened there. It's the unreliable narrator because Maggie thinks that it's all a hoax. And it was also a chance to just throw in all these wonderful, delicious, haunted house tropes and play around with them. So there's, you know, noises in the night and there's a record player that turns itself on and there's Ouija boards and ghosts. And I just wanted to pack that half of the book with as much 
spook house stuff as possible. Oh, that is awesome. I do want to commend you for finally realizing that the sound of music is kind of creepy. But it's not. This is this is my fear. <laughs> like I I am a sound of music mega fan. Like really? I love it. I love it unironically. Like I love it to the extent that when the 50th anniversary of the movie was approaching, we went to Austria and we went to Salzburg and took the sound of music tour and went to the places where they filmed the movie. So you were not kidding about the mega fan part. I'm not messing around when it comes to the sound of music. And so when I, I had to come up with what's a creepy song that could play in the middle of the night that would kind of relate to the story and what's going on in this house. Yet it's sort of innocent and might ruin some memories for many people. <laughs> and the first thing that popped into my head was 16 going on 17 and there was no other song and i was really nervous because we needed to get rogers and hammerstein organizations approval and i was so worried that they were not going to allow (laughs) us to use this song and i could not think of an alternative i'm glad they came through because yeah it definitely works with those scenes really it it i i learned basically that if you pay them they'll let you do whatever (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned it a little before, but what made you attempt a haunted house story this time around? I think in every scary writer's life, like they have to tackle the haunted house story. And um, I'd sort of toyed with it a little bit in Lock Every Door. There's a a few fleeting moments where it was like, is this apartment building haunted? And so I just figured it's time. You know, I've been leading up to this. It's time to do the haunted house story. But I didn't want it to be a typical haunted house story. I really wanted to put a new, fresh twist on it. And so that's where I came up with the Amityville horror-esque aspect, where, yes, there's a haunted house story. And then there's a whole other half of the book that's sort of digging into the truth and peering behind the curtain of this haunted house story. So it's a bit of a deconstruction of the haunted house trope going on there. So you mentioned the Amityville horror comparisons. Were there other haunted houses you looked into when you were researching this? Not really. Like that was the be all end all. That was yeah. the big inspiration for this. And, you know, it, it's it's pretty obvious. I mean, I name dropped the Amityville horror several <laughs> times in the book because I had to. Like I couldn't have Maggie pretend that this other thing does not exist. So she compares herself to like the Amityville horror kids and talks about like home values in relation to homes that are famously haunted and what's their value. (laughs) Uh, But it it totally was inspired by the Amityville horror, but I didn't want to replicate it. Like I didn't want to be this nice suburban house. I wanted it to be something a bit more atmospheric. And that's why I set it in this big Victorian house on a hill surrounded by woods and speaking of hill houses, <laughs> you know, that was that was also kind of a big influence. You know, I love the book Haunting of Hill House and mm-hmm. I love the Netflix adaptation, which is nothing like the book whatsoever. Yes, but I it was it worked like gangbusters. And I had the idea for Home Before Dark before that premiered. And so I was very worried when I started watching it that oh did they make my book into a tv show before i even (laughs) wrote it 
And it turned out that it's just like surface similarities and that like I knew that like, okay, we're going to have they're two very different beasts here. And so I'm good with that. And so I could relax and just enjoy it for the wonderfully scary show that it was. Oh, and that it was. Yeah, there are some scary things in that show. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, yeah, that one big jump scare definitely got me <laughs> towards the end of the series. <laughs> but yeah, that, that jump scare scene, I was just chilling on the couch watching it, and it ha- happened, and I literally leapt off the couch and screamed at the TV, what the fuck? <laughs> Like, I was so scared that I was, like, yelling at the TV. Well, I just think they're so balanced out because I felt like the tone of the show was, you know, very poignant and introspective at times. And then it would just go there. It went there hard. Yes. And I loved it for that. Uh, So I do have some listener questions. Um, So Rachel, my old co-host, said, In Home Before Dark, you planted a lot of red herrings and twists and turns. How do you go about outsmarting all the seasoned thriller readers who are used to predicting twists? It's very, very fun to do that. And it's also (laughs) very nerve-wracking because sometimes I won't know if I succeeded until people start reading the book. Um, But I like to play with tropes and stereotypes and things that have sort of come before. And that's very helpful to sort of give them what they're expecting. Like, oh, you've seen a slasher movie, so you know what a final girl is. Or you've, are, you're have you aware of the Amityville Horror, so you know what haunted house things are going to be in this. And so to give them that and sort of lead them down these paths of expectation and familiarity, and then just to yank the rug out from under them. <laughs> and it's very enjoyable to do that. And you did it effectively. I played right into it. I was like, I know what's going on. I am such a good thriller mystery reader. I have this all figured out. And then I was wrong. <laughs> that I, That is music to my ears. That is 16 going on 17 to my ears. <laughs> she also wants to know if you think there's a horror subgenre that you don't think would work well as a thriller. Zombies. That is true. I can see that. <laughs> I mean, someone would be able to do it. And I actually like have, I don't like zombies i don't like zombie movies like zombies really scare me even though i don't like that's a scientifically impossible thing to happen yet they terrify me so but i have this idea for like a zombie story or screenplay that maybe one of these days i'll be like yeah it's time to do this (laughs) i'll be looking forward to that if you ever decide to do that we'll see Uh And Laura wanted to know, since Home Before Dark has kind of a true crime horror aspect, are you yourself a fan of true crime or are there any cases that you are interested in? I'm not a true crime fanatic in terms of, you know, like I I listen to, you know, my favorite murder occasionally, but I'm no by no means a murderino. But there are certain things that fascinate me. And, you know, one of them was the Amityville horror case. Um, another one is the Lindbergh kidnapping, because that happened not that far away from me at all. Like where I live now, I think I'm like maybe like five miles away from where that happened. And so that sort of is legendary in these parts. And there's just, you know, certain real life cases that fascinate me like um the the kennedy murder the 
Oh, I forget the girl's first name. Skakel? No, Skakel was the man who allegedly did it. Oh, Martha Moxley. That's her name. Like, that case is very interesting to me. So there's there's certain cases throughout history that, like, I, I catch wind of and then become, like, really fascinated with. Those are very interesting. I do have to ask, with the Amityville horror, are you team hoax or team haunted? Absolute hoax. It was a total <laughs> hoax. I mean, demon pigs? Come on. <laughs> like, it, it just, it's it was so ridiculous. But it's interesting because... You know, what happened in that house before the Lutz family moved in is truly horrifying. Yeah. Like, he murdered his entire family. That's horrible. And you you would have to think, like, a house like that with a history like that, you know, does it sort of linger like that kind of horror? But no, I don't think that I think they were exploiting it. That's that's my take on it. I think so, too. Yeah, I was watching the movie a few years ago, and I'm like, I get it, though. Like, that is a very good deal for a house like that on the lake with a boathouse. Like, I get it. It's a lovely house. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, we, it's it's funny because this wasn't done on purpose because I had, you know, I had the idea, the synopsis sort of written out when I said, you know, presented it to my editor and my agent and said, this is the next book. And they said, great, do that. So this was a done deal. And in the works before my husband and I decided that now was the time to buy a house. So as I was writing about people moving into this house with problems, like <laughs> we were house hunting and moving into a house with problems. And one of the houses we were interested in was this massive house. And the price was so low that we were convinced that it was like a murder house. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, I love this house. There had to have been like a murder here, like something sinister went on here. And so there's like a service, like a website where you pay a small fee and then it will give you all the records of a certain property and will tell you like whether it was like a murder house or not. And actually, this house wasn't a murder house. It just, I guess, had a lot of problems. So we didn't go for that one. Yeah, there's got to be those too good to be true cases. Well. Like, both of my parents were real estate agents in California, and that's a state where you have to disclose that. Yeah, I think I think all of them are now. I mean, it's weird yeah. because this was, you know, took place in 1995. So I did have to sort of do some research into, like, Vermont real estate law. And in 1995, like, they didn't need to disclose this kind of thing. Because that would have that would have ruined the plot a little bit to be like, yeah, I'm compelled to tell you all the things that happened in this house. I feel like in horror movies, though, the family's like, doesn't matter. Great deal. Let's take it. And and they do this in the book, too, where they're like, eh, so a man murdered his daughter. And so whatever. We're It's a great house. I love it. Let's take it. And that was one of the sort of silly stereotypes that I really leaned into. Like, I think most people would be like, no, we're good. Thanks. Bye. We'll look somewhere else. Not for me. No, thank you. So I've noticed on Instagram you have been doing kind of these weekly movie nights with Crime by the Book, you know, movies like I Know What You Did Last Summer and Get Out and The Exorcist. So have any of these rewatches brought up anything and how they hold up? Yeah, it's been very interesting. It started because I'm I'm, I'm friends with Abby from Crime by the Book and she was interviewing me and we're talking movies and it came to light that she'd never seen Jaws. 
And I just was gobsmacked. I'm like, how have you never seen Jaws? So we decided to watch Jaws at the same time during the pandemic and just, you know, to amuse ourselves and to amuse our followers. Like, we're going to live tweet Jaws and then we're going to talk about it on Instagram and it'll be fun. And it just was so much fun that we've just decided to keep on doing it. And some of the movies, you know, really hold up well. Others do not. (laughs) And one that was really surprised me was um, The Exorcist. That we, it doesn't? It doesn't. We were like trashing it afterwards on Instagram. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. We're like, really, this has become like an exorcist like bashing account right now. But it just doesn't. There's something about it doesn't hold up. And I think it's because its reputation looms so large. That it doesn't quite live up to that anymore. And it's been parodied so much. I think we, yes. When you go back to the original source material, it's just not as effective. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like, back in, you know, the day when this was all fresh and new, it was terrifying, I'm sure. But now it is just like, yeah, we know the pea soup and the head spin and all that stuff. Yeah, we get it. I rewatched it recently, and I think one of the more unsettling parts was in the beginning when she's going through all the tests. Yes, that was, we're like, that's disturbing. Like, yeah. especially when, like, they do the thing in her neck and the blood is yeah. just spurting out. And we're yes. like, like, poor Linda Blair. They really put her through the ringer in that one. Can I ask, what is next up? What's next for you? Um, Next up is I'm working on my next book right now. And it's the complete opposite of Home Before Dark. Like, I never like to reveal too much, like, plot-wise. But mm-hmm. this is definitely not a book within a book. Um, it's in fact, like there's not a flashback in sight. Like I just want it to be a breakneck thriller. Like I'm, I'm, my goal is to make it feel like a car speeding down a highway in the middle of the night, just fast, fast, fast. Nice. Those are fun. So no horror tropes in this one. Not really. No. Like if there's, yeah, not really. Like I'm actually thinking more film noir. Oh, Okay. That's exciting. Well, we will be on the lookout for that. So, Riley, have you? Do you have any chilling obsessions or anything you have been enjoying in horror recently? I recently watched and absolutely loved the Vast of Night mm-hmm. that is on Amazon Prime. It is so fun and original. Like, have you seen it yet? Yes. Did you like it? I did. I loved the nod to the Twilight Zone at the beginning and everything and the setup. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, the the last, I don't think it stuck the ending. Like the last two minutes I have issues with. Oh boy. But <laughs> up, up until that point, I just was on board the whole time. Like I loved the, you know, the 50s sci-fi vibe. I loved the way it was filmed. Like how there'd be just moments of like just w- the scene with her at the switchboard for like 10 minutes it's just her at the switchboard for 10 minutes and it's so engaging and suspenseful mm-hmm. and how there'll be moments where just the camera just sits and you see someone deliver a five minute monologue or the screen goes black and you hear someone deliver like a five minute monologue and then it will go and do something completely showboaty like that tracking shot from the 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 telephone operating offices like through the town and through the gymnasium all the way to the radio station 
Yeah, I was like, I'm loving this. <laughs> that was really good. I think that would have made a really good like radio drama too. Yes, it would have. Yes. And the, the two actors, I'm, their names elude me right now, but I, I imagine huge things are in store for both of them because they were so fantastic in this movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very original and I liked the setting. And I also have like a soft spot for movies that revolve around like radio or podcasting as a, as, oh, like, yeah. a big thing in the plot. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it, it's, it's, it's kind of fun because now we're like, we're so technologically obsessed. Like we all have, you know, we all have like a supercomputer in our hands at all times. And so there's something fun and retro and just charming about going back in time and, you know, seeing like the switchboard and the radio station and, and seeing how they used to do things and using that for some very effective storytelling. Oh, yes, I agree. That was a good one. And before I let you go, we did add something to the podcast that we've started asking people. And that is, what is your final girl song? So at the end of the slasher movie, you are the final girl or guy. Like, what is the song that is playing? 100% Don't Fear the Reaper. Nice. Blue Oyster Cult all the way. <laughs> that's a good one. I love that song to a degree that's kind of disturbing. I am adding all of these to a Spotify playlist, and it's going to be like the Final Girl playlist. That is awesome. I actually, when Final Girls came out, my publisher was like, we want you to create a, a playlist for, for Final Girls. And yeah, I actually, I absolutely had to have Don't Fear the Reaper on there. <laughs> that is a very good one for that situation. I can totally see it too. Yeah, there's. I'm, I'm surprised no one has said this, given this answer before. I've just started asking. Hopefully you'll hear much more Don't Fear the Reaper in the future because <laughs> it's just it's it's a perfect song. That is a good one for it. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with us about your new book. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully we'll talk again next year. <laughs> Books in the Freezer is a biweekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at BooksFraserPod, on Instagram at BooksInTheFreezer, or at Facebook.com slash BooksInTheFreezer. You can send us an email at BooksInTheFreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at BooksInTheFreezer.com. You can also find us on Patreon under, of course, Books in the Freezer. We have a $1, $3, and $5 level on Patreon. For the $1 or the Final Girl level, you get episodes early, so on Sunday instead of Tuesday, and you get to know the topic one week in advance. At the $3 level, you can be a part of the Voxer group chat and with that also comes access to the Patreon movie nights that we do using Netflix Watch Party. We've watched a lot of good movies like Train to Busan, The Ritual, The Invitation, Hush, and I have a poll for that whenever we decide to do a watch party. Um, at the $5 level, I let you know what the topic is before recording. So if you have anything you would like to add, it does make it into the episode. And you also get bonus episodes. Uh, another way to support the podcast is just by doing your normal Amazon shopping and clicking our Amazon link. That'll be in the show notes for you. 
But of course, you don't have to spend any money to support the podcast. You can spread the word, post on social media, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things are very important and they are very helpful. So thank you to all of you who have already taken the time to do that. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N on Instagram as that's what she read. That's with two A's and on YouTube as that's what she read. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 